Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. 
It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, Dan Fagella talks to us about the art and science of skill development, and we look at it through the lens of martial arts and positive psychology. Dan, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Of course, Rini. Glad to be here, brother. Yeah, my pleasure. So you contacted me, and you had a really fascinating story about skill development, martial arts, and positive psychology all blended together, which I just found super intriguing. So on that note, can you tell us a bit about your story, your journey, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today and the work that you're doing now? Yeah, big time. Uh, you know, my uh, one of the reasons I resonate with your previous episodes is I'm a little bit of a psychology nerd just in terms of having a fascination with self-understanding and really with productivity, which many of your own episodes are on. Um, and as a martial artist, I come from a really small town, a town of 8,000 people in Wakefield, Rhode Island. You've never heard of it. You'll never drive through it. Um, it you know, you'll live your entire life and, and never hear about it after I just mentioned it that one time. Nice place, right? But but uh, very small. So when it came to really being a, 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 a real kind of the best competitor I could be, you know, it was one of my objectives was to get good at jujitsu, to be the best competitor I could be, the best teacher I could be, um, and, and develop my own skills. Shucks, there just really weren't that many teachers in this little town. So I'd have to drive and do seminars or pay for private lessons. Um, so what that ended up taking me to do was, was focus my undergraduate training on sports psych, and then I ended up going to UPenn for positive psychology and focusing my whole master's degree there on uh, the art of skill development, getting to talk to a lot of the higher up researchers and, and essentially force myself through the cheese grater of really high level skill development research applied to combat sport. And only through that was able to kind of win the national championship stuff and, and sort of do everything I did in martial arts. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of stuff here. Uh, I, I want to go back to the small town. Do it. Uh, talk to me about the experience of growing up in such a small town or being around such a small town environment and how that has influenced and shaped the way you see the world today and, and the way you do the things that you do. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I liken it to, to sort of a, a Corsica equivalent in some sense. You know, I, I was close, close enough, I suppose, to some kinds of cities like Boston and, and Providence. Um, you know, I, I think, I think what it what it what it maybe did for me was sort of build my desire all, all the more to sort of know how much farther I, I could go. I think I was anchored in the right kind of salt of the earth values. You know, my pop, my father ran a, a carpet store. You know, installing carpet and and tile and things like that in Rhode Island. So I had like a, a small town sort of entrepreneur, like get up early and just sort of do the work. Like you know, nothing fancy and not like crazy innovative business models or anything, but just good old fashioned elbow grease. And, uh, and I got a likening to that. I think that was kind of bred into me in the little, little town environment I had. Um, but it also sort of made, made all the, the, the real kind of further reaching dreams that I had had 
just all that more sparkly and shiny and all that much more worth running to when I could finally get to them. So it was a little bit of both. I definitely appreciated it, but I feel like it really wound me up to, to get into places where I could expand my potential a little more. Hmm. So let's do this. Let's talk about a sort of the undergraduate study of sports psychology, because I'm really interested in that. And, yeah. and kind of what are the lessons from sports psychology that you've brought into martial arts that, that people can take away from listening to, to your yeah. own experiences? Completely. And I think this is this is great because I've been forced to sort of apply this across the board in terms of life in general. But there's there's a lot of interesting tenets if you study sports psych. A lot of it, it one of the terms they use in sports psych, and it, it doesn't fit all that well outside of sports psych, but it's, it's referred to in the sports psychology world as arousal, which is essentially sort of uh, what what I might colloquially call kind of nervous energy, if you're familiar. You know, mm -hmm. if you ever get butterflies before a competition or a speaking engagement or if you have to have a difficult conversation or something along those lines. And there's two really interesting insights about this that I've carried with me since undergrad. Never really particularly focused on it during graduate school or afterwards, but always like to carry these. One of which is that there's no perfect calibrated degree of arousal for a particular kind of of performance. Generally speaking, if you're doing crazy weightlifting and it just involves massive energy for a short stint of time, you know, or if you're doing golf on the total opposite end, very fine motor, you know, you have all the time in the world to kind of swing the club. Normally, you know, the, the former is going to have the, the higher arousal being more advantageous. The latter is going to have lesser. But when it comes to, you know, competing in tennis and wrestling, giving a speech or a presentation, interestingly enough, the best way to know how how excited, you know, or how nervous, you know, how much energy should I be feeling is actually calibrated per person. So there's some Olympic re level wrestlers, like high level gold medal guys who go out and they look like they're about to kind of sit down and eat a bowl of cereal. And then there's other guys that smack themselves in the face and like punch themselves in the arm and, and, and jump out there like, like they're barbarians. And, uh, and it, those are both perfectly fine. So interestingly enough, it's not about finding the right, it's about calibrating to you. And the way that you find that is by going back through your previous experience of when did I perform best and figuring out, you know, how amped up or how calmed down was I, and maybe that's the level for me. Not the best for everybody, but the level for me. And I always like that insight. Hmm. Interesting. So that that's that's actually uh, something that could be applied not just to, to sort of uh, difficult conversations or, or getting a speech, but damn near anything in our lives. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, speaking presentations is sort of you know I don't compete in jujitsu really anymore, but you know I find that uh, you know I I find that I've had to find just like I did in jujitsu. It certainly didn't come naturally to me. I was a very kind of antsy, afraid to compete kid when I was younger. Um, and I had to find that that sweet spot for jujitsu. But same thing for having you know a difficult business conversation. You have to fire somebody or or what have you. Bring up a tough topic or or get up on a stage. You know, oh man, you know, should I be feeling this way? Should I be excited? Should I not be? You know, should I should I really chill out? Well, you know, when have you performed best in these circumstances? And and what might be kind of fitting for for you and your own character? So let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum when that becomes debilitating. Uh, or when we get into those moments and we're just panic-filled, anxiety-filled, yeah. and our performance yeah, yeah. just suffers. Okay, big time. So essentially what to do there is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, so um, from from a sports psych perspective, and this is curious too, this was the other insight I was going to get into, is that arousal in and of itself, this is in a sports psych terminology, which I might refer to as, again, nervous energy, welled-up energy, uh, jitters, we might say, um, is actually in and of itself uh, – in and of itself is neutral. In other words, jitters aren't inherently 
crippling, crumbling, fear-laden, and they're not inherently lifting and glorious and confidence-building. They are whatever you think they are. So they are, they are energy that is in your physical form and that the way that you perceive that, the way that you believe that to actually be influencing you is often really how it is. So when so, some people get, when people talk about getting butterflies before a competition, usually they really kind of feel like their stomach hurts. They actually feel a little bit weaker than they do during practice. They, they feel like they're sort of burdened by this energy. It's welled up and it's already sucking their life force out of them. And then there's other folks that feel that same thing. And, and they're, they're like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is where it's coming on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so it, it's, it's really in how you perceive that energy. So folks that, that get crippled by that, number one, you might be the kind of person that functions better on a lower arousal, whether it's for a speaking engagement, a physical com uh, you know, competition or whatever. Um, but also, you know, if, if you can get yourself to to associate that with the good kind of energy if you can channel that into the images of you winning not the images of you losing the images of you strong not the images of you drained um then often that will conjure the like physical manifestation thereof which is a curious uh you know a very curious kind of psychology experiment in and of itself but that that arousal or those jitters are not inherently bad at all. It's really how you see them. So if people are struggling with that, again, you can dial down arousal altogether and you might be somebody that, that doesn't function that well up high, mm -hmm. um, or you can see if you can channel it. So let's talk about the idea of channeling it briefly. I mean, how do you channel it? Yep. So, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, if, if, you know, it's, it, it's actually relatively funny cause I, I haven't gotten to really nerd out on this since, since, uh, school, but, um, but some of the ways that this is traditionally done is through routine. Have you ever, have you ever watched Srini? Have you ever seen like a basketball game where, um, somebody's got to shoot a free throw and they do the same little, you know, hop, skip and, and basketball bounce and grip change thing. Yeah, definitely. Or, or baseball, same deal. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, th this is, this is, uh, this is all sort of part of this this mind body connection where sometimes you know even combat sport competitors from the world that I come from in, in jujitsu or, or you know wrestlers high level wrestlers actually are are uh, exposed to sports psychology uh, even more so than the combat sports world primarily because they're functioning in an academic environment and a, a much more at least uh, at certain phases a much more kind of competitive um, environment as well but essentially those routines. Um, it, during those routines, if, if, if somebody like a wrestler or a baseball player, whatever the case may be, has certain things that they do right before they step to the plate, it, it gets their mind off of sort of thinking of, of the future and getting welled up in, in nerves. And it allows them to not only go through the same physical routine, but to mentally go through the same routine, to say the same mantras, to visualize the same success. Some people, you know, imagine that they take on some kind of animal form. You know, there's like more far out so sports like ideas. Really, the base idea here is can you see yourself as confident, see yourself as winning, see yourself as making that first move and having it be great? And can you habitually do that while you habitually do something with your body? Body so that you almost, not quite, but you almost trance out a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of channeling this forces flowing through you, but you take your mind and your body, you run it through a template and you pump that energy out one particular, you know, vent. And, and, and that's, that's how you'll see a lot of athletes do it. And it's interesting how it ekes its way out. Not all of it's conscious, but that's all legitimate sports psychology. I love that. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting because you're right. It kind of trances you out and you forget about the thing that you're so worried about because you get into this routine. Yeah. 
Interesting. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's start talking about martial arts specifically. I think you may be sure. the very first martial artist that we've had here. I mean, we've had other people who are martial artists, but it's not the core of their work. And I'm really yeah. interested in uh, the role that martial arts has played in your life, uh, you know, how it makes you see the world and sort of the lessons from that that you have brought to everything else you're doing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 curious. So there's some folks, and I think that this is part of the luster of the martial arts, and 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 uh, and that that could be either a good or a bad thing. But I, I think sometimes folks almost associate martial arts with a set of values in some way. Um, you know, although I do believe martial arts was a a positive force on my life, I think you know I'm definitely a discerner of my own values in terms of reading philosophy actively and writing poorly done philosophical inquiry and and you know being kind of a thinker in that respect so I didn't sort of learn like okay what honor means and all those things maybe I didn't come up young enough you know maybe when you're a 7 year old in the right school you know those things are sort of conveyed in a, in a you know in a more apt fashion I sort of came up in the game in like a dusty old warehouse where we all just got beat up every day. That was sort of like my intro to martial arts. So admittedly it wasn't all that formal and, and uh, schmancy dancy. Um, but you know, ultimately the bigger lessons that, that I've translated, you know, I've, I've certainly discerned my own kind of semblances of, of values and the characteristics that I care about. But, but what's translated through is sort of the notion of, of perseverance as being sort of the prime quality um, above other qualities, because when you're in a martial arts environment, particularly one where you're seeing, you know, where you're getting beat up all the time, like literally and physically beat up, and you know, draining your ears with the same syringe you've used like seven times, um, you uh, you sort of see a lot of people leave. You know, you so, you sort of see a lot of people go. And and while I was going through my competitive years, I was also going through graduate school and doing a lot of interviews for my thesis work with champions and discerning, you know, what what really kind of brought them there. If there's deeper underlying qualities. And they all hearkened to, to perseverance and persistence as sort of the king. Mm -hmm. And so for me in, in, you know, business or whatever else, a lot of the time, kind of that worst grind, that most obnoxious portion of training, that skill that you hate working on, but you know, you're no good at, um, is, is what you need. Um, just like getting up at four in the morning, you know, because you haven't gotten your deck done or whatever it is in business is, is what you need, you know, sort of familiarizing yourself with, with forcing yourself through the cheese grater, you know, when you need to and, and, and uh, persisting in that respect. I think that martial arts was really the first place where I did that in a very diligent and vigilant way. Mm. And I, I do believe that that's translated to the rest of my life. Mm. So it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the idea of perseverance and, and sort of physically taking blows and getting beat up. What I'm yeah. interested in is how you cultivate a capacity for perseverance on a day to day basis if you're not a martial artist but you're just somebody going out living your life. Yeah, you know, Srini, I think about it like like this, and, and I didn't as much learn this um, explicitly through martial arts. I think going through all kinds of particular lessons actually in the martial arts world, but in terms of conjuring persistence and conjuring that, that characteristic, um, really one of the places I like to go first is biography. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there have been examples of people whose actual life story sort of expands the known powers of man, if you will, in terms of their ability to endure, in terms of their ability to uh, persist. And I think that it's really m more so than sort of a mental trick that I use, which I, I really think is sort of hoo-ha and silliness. Um, I, I, I do honestly believe that, uh, that we are, you know, for better or for worse, trapped in our own conception of what difficulties are. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, 
we we very rarely have to fight for the death with animals or other people. Most of us have showers that are warm, food that's you know reasonably nutritious uh, that we usually didn't have to kill with our own hands. Um, but things like traffic jams or or bankruptcies or or whatever else, you know, can can uh, can crush our souls because we know no further pains. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So in terms of conjuring persistence, I think an anchoring in perspective is really, you know, what I've drawn on the most. There's great examples of martial artists, you know, Masahiko Kimura, uh, a famous judo player who if you just read about the way that this guy trained, it's just so tremendously inspiring. But there's other other great biographies that can do that. I think about it like, you know, we'll all, we'll all um, it's a little bit of like a, I don't know, I mean, kind of a you either, either have it or, you know, not, not, not that you can't conjure it, but by golly, you know, if it's really not in you, it's not in you. It's, I, think we all, I think we all dance to the sound of our, our own music, and I think a lot of people will either A, don't have music, mm -hmm. B, will die with their music inside of them, or, 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 or C, um, the music will play loud enough that they actually dance along to it. And that dancing can be persistent, can be driving for whatever your values are. But you know what? If your music isn't loud enough and you just want to eat Doritos, that's fine. You know, it is what it is. Some people, you know... Don't uh, don't have it. Kind of, yeah. I, I I poke and prod myself with that all the time. But honestly, I think it's a perspective deal. I think that we don't we don't quite know what the necessities of persistence are. You know, if you read Man's Search for Meaning, you sort of slap yourself in the face and shut up and go to work. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's funny. I I would say you you also kind of feel the same way if you read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Oh, you're you're a fan of Aurelius. Well, I, I picked it up because of, of Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. Oh, I, I adore Aurelius. I, I, I adore Aurelius as sort of the, the, the premier exemplar, at least in an ideal sense, of goodness and greatness uh, embodied. And uh, yes, Aurelius was, geez, I mean, how much death he saw, how much death, you know, of his family, of his children, of his soldiers, of his nation, of plague, of barbarians. But he woke up early, went to bed late every single day for decades, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I just, I love and admire Aurelius on transcendent levels. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So here's something that's really interesting to me that you said, that we're trapped in our own conception of what is difficult. Yeah. How do you get out of that trap? Let's talk you know, about I that. Mean, I, for sure. And I, 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 I have this as an ardent mission. You know, I think martial arts and pushing yourself physically and mentally um, can certainly help. And I think that if, if you feel drawn to do that for that reason, you should, because I think if your heart appoints that as a way to challenge yourself, you should. But I wouldn't tell anybody listening, you must be a martial artist to be strong and escape your weak conceptions. I wouldn't say that at all. Um, but I would say if your heart's pulling you there, go for it. Um, it you know, I, I found that really uh, above all else, you know, interestingly enough, being a psych guy, it really wasn't reading sort of the psychology of you know, perspective or gestalt or anything along those lines or Freud. Um, it, it was really more looking for those actual and literal examples in, in, uh, in history and in biography. You know, you had brought up Aurelius. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're at least somewhat familiar with Plutarch's lives, um, you know, with, with, uh, um, Corneille with, uh, there's all these great writers that, that wrote of, 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 you know, heroism and persistence and, and pains and perseverance on so many levels that we just can't conceive. You know, I don't know if, if anybody's familiar with the, the biography of Joan of Arc. You know, you just sort of, in my opinion, that, that really does go to the soul a bit in, in terms of saying, you know, are, could you go through this? Or what are you complaining about? Or, you know, what, what, what right have you to stop your good work, to stop your noble cause? for your pettiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that the only way we can shake ourselves out of that, I mean, I think fiction could cut the mustard, but I think there's been living, breathing flesh humans who've just done so much more than, than we ever have. And I think that if the hardest working person that we know is sort of the hardest working person we've ever shaken hands with, um, we have a problem because I, and, and maybe you have, right? And you, you're, you might be more blessed than I, but I've never actually shaken hands with somebody who works as hard as Napoleon or Edison. Mm -hmm. I never have. I'll be honest with you. I never have. Um, I just never met anybody that's that dedicated. I, I really, I really have not. However, I've read of Bonaparte. 
I've read of Edison, and I believe that at least on some level, um, I have I have kind of uh, I, I've seen a little bit over a vista that I might not have in Wakefield, in Boston, or even in this current point in space and time. Hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's profound. A lot to think about. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's shift gears a bit. And let's get into this idea of, of you know, uh, skill development, how the positive psychology experience at, at UPenn really has impacted that. And let's start talking about how we take this concept of skill development and apply it in our day-to-day lives and some sort of a framework that people can actually use. Completely. So I, I, I love doing this and I find that at least on some level I do it subconsciously. Maybe that is the, the, uh, the lingering benefit of, of that, those those uh, grind away graduate school years there, but um, but yeah, if, if if somebody wants to actually get get um, you know develop a skill, get good at something, to use colloquial language, um, one of the folks that, and I'll always point people to to smarter folks than myself, who's really worth digging into, and you don't have to be an academic research reader to be into this because you can find distilled versions, is Anders Ericsson and the work on deliberate practice. So Anders Ericsson is a great place to start. And one of his tenets, and there's there's many, and, and you know, I could belabor them, but one that I really think is important and is often left out is the element of continuous available feedback, continuously available feedback. This is one of the, the four literally necessary constituents of, of uh, deliberate practice that, that Ericsson goes into. And, and it's, it's interesting how even if, if we want to get, you know, if we're running a business and we know we have to get better at sales, we know we have to get better at marketing, we know we have to learn accounting, we know, whatever the case may be, um, if we read a book once and then we grind away and just sort of do the work without actively having some semblance of feedback from someone smarter than us, maybe a way of continuously referencing our own work, even if that's on a, certainly a lower level than having someone of expertise uh, look over your work, um, but the, the question I'd have anybody out there who's, who's actively saying, man, you know, I really want to get better at blank. My question is, do you have a regular and continuous, not like every now and again you watch another YouTube video, mm-hmm. not like every six months you read another book. Do you have a regular and consistent way of measuring yourself and, and having some degree of tangible literal feedback um, within yourself or from other experts? That's that That as just an ingredient splashed into the pot of whatever skill you're trying to build, I think it's, it's often one that's left out. Mm-hmm. So let's do this. Um, l- let's talk about this idea of cultivating deliberate practice and sure. also finding this regular and consistent way of measuring yourself. Let's take an actual skill and break it down through the Love lens it. of that. Fantastic. Um, so could I use a martial arts one? Yeah, definitely. Okay, I'll just, it's easy because this is what I kind of, again, this is the cheese grater I force myself through. Um so uh, if, if you, if you want to, if you want to get, you know, if you want to develop yourself in a particular skill for, for me, for example, in jujitsu, um, one of the skill sets I really wanted to get better at, um, is, is leg locks. Nobody who's listening likely knows what that is, but if you, if you ever watch the UFC or anything like that, it's essentially submission and joint techniques, joint manipulation techniques to get somebody to, to tap out that involve their ankles and knees and whatever. So this is a, a particular subset of martial arts skills that I knew I wanted to, get better at. Um, so uh, continuous practice and repetition with focus, not, not kind of mindless uh, repetition is one element thereof. So, and I'm using martial arts, whoever's listening in, just fill in the blank with whatever skill you want to learn. But for me, um, you know, I, I had set aside time on Mondays and Wednesdays after class to spend another 20 minutes 
doing specific sets of drills for the moves I knew I wanted to get better at. And the way I determined those moves, Serena, is not, you know, watched a couple YouTube videos and just sort of ran off, but I paid for rather expensive private lessons with the guys who had gotten the results that I wanted to get, mm -hmm. um, particularly in the martial arts world, and asked them straight up, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm working on my leg locks. W which, which setups, which finishes, which techniques are actually going to matter? I want to be a competitor. I want to win in competition. I want to focus on high priority. You know, what would you build on as a skill if you were me? Then I learned those moves from them, so had direct feedback on my learning. Didn't pick something arbitrarily. I, help, I let them help with the picking and didn't learn it initially, like my first template arbitrarily. I got my first template straight from the mouth of a world champion. Um, and then when I went off to drill, I at least knew I was drilling better than willy nilly. Um, so, so I would set aside an, an additional 20 minutes on Mondays and Wednesdays to go through specific, uh, drill, like setup and finishing drills for, you know, 20 minutes a pop for my techniques on those two days. And then I would pay for private lessons. And at this point I was living in Rhode Island. I'd have to schlep up to Boston or elsewhere to actually, you know, train privately with, with folks that are significantly better than myself. But once a month. I'd be able to go back to them, show them what I'd been learning and working on, you know, spar live with them, get beat up, and have them tell me what the heck I need to work on next, and then go adjust and tweak those very hard and deliberate uh, drilling regimens, but not, again, not arbitrarily, not because I read a funny little book and I thought this leg lock would be cool, but because I got beat up by a world champ, they told me what I needed to do, and they told me how I should be working on it, and I went and kind of followed the template, but I... I didn't do it once. I ground away twice a week, um, you know, every single month, month after month in order to improve the leg lock skills until, until that was sort of my best competition submission. But it wasn't from YouTube alone. It was from the, the elements of deliberate practice, the two that we mentioned here being really explicit feedback around goal selection, mm -hmm. not just the actual performance of the skill, um, in addition to consistently grinding away with the repetition and focus to, to build the skill. So that's just one little example from my own life. So let's do this, um, if this is possible. What yeah. I'd like to do is take this back up to sort of a meta level and see if we can extract a general framework that people could apply to I, any skill I, if we could do it in sort of a linear fashion. I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, I, I got a uh, actually sort of a basic breakdown of sort of how I've distilled this into other areas of my own life that I've I've written on on a number of different occasions. I've used for, you know, the world of entrepreneurship was, was at least as uh, – intellectually challenging as the world of martial arts. So I've been forced to sort of go through this on a number of different occasions. Um, it, it, you know, the, the way that this is traditionally broken down uh, would, would, would sort of be as follows. You know, if, if somebody wants to develop a particular skill, um, you know, a thing that they want to get better at, if you want to talk at kind of a meta level here, uh, You'd, you'd really want to determine the end of, of that skill. So somebody might, you know, I might have said, you know, I, I want to get good at leg locks. That, that's sort of, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure if I actually wanted that or if I wanted to be a champion competitor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, so what is the actual end? You know, do you want to learn marketing skills so that you can have a cool marketing blog and seem smart? Or do you want to really make sure you avoid bankruptcy as much as possible? Um, and actually can apply those in a meaningful way. So how, how are these skills, what's the tangible yield that you want the skill to have? Because building a skill like it's a little badge that you can put on your jacket is not actually real. You, you actually need to anchor it to some kind of end that, that's of particular import for two reasons. Number one, 
because then you have in mind how you want to structure your training because you know what you're actually working for. Mm-hmm. Number two, because the why is the motivation. And I'm sure you already know that yourself. Yeah. So you, nobody's like, oh, yeah, I want to, you know, maybe some people derive joy from just reading Neil Patel's blog and just thinking about marketing ideas and that that's just they, – they're, there's certain fulfilling jollies that just are conjured in their mind. Most of us really want to go out and use that and sort of make sure we can put kids through college. Mm-hmm. So, so what what is the tangible yield from the skill you're actually uh, aiming aiming to develop? And then, secondly, you know, where or who who can you reference for two things? Um, you know, h- how you would actually work on that skill and what your initial goals might be. You know, someone who's just starting off who wants to run marathons. If you just go on every third Google site around running a marathon, you might set either really low or maybe all too high. Uh, expectations around how long you should be able to run by month two, and you might just destroy your knees. Um, so who who can you refer to feedback-wise, not when you're two months in, but when you get started on your first step on the yellow brick road, where's the feedback that says, okay, you know, here's the here's the castle you're trying to get to at the end of the yellow brick road. Okay, well, I, I, I went to that castle. Um, that's why I can give you feedback here. Uh, you know, given where you're at, I think it's reasonable for you to be around here-ish, and I'd probably be working on it in this kind of a way. So somebody who can give you feedback when you get off the bat in terms of uh, what actual goals you're setting and, and, and what you think is reasonable kind of to expect from yourself and, and what you're actually going to sort of uh, apply and move forward with. Um, and then if you can you know, grind away and persist with that regimen, if it's X number of times a week doing X, uh, you know, once a week doing X, once a week doing Y, and then have consistent feedback with that person, um, you know, who is guiding you in the first place, or maybe even more than that one person. That's, uh, you know, in terms of general algorithm, whether it's business or otherwise, that's that's what I'd advise to literally anybody across the board. I mean, a lot of the the help, unlike what I think is often expected, is is not is not uh, you know four months in. Hey, how do you want to measure my my uh, progress? But is really the first step on the yellow brick road. Hey, you've done this before. How far should I be, and and how should I run this track here? Hmm. It, it's funny because I think that you know when I listen to you talk about this, I think we go into this with such a counterintuitive or almost blind mindset. We we don't we don't really think through what our end is. Almost it's like, hey, I just want to learn to do this thing. Yeah, no, that I, I yeah, I mean. And there's, there's enough literature on this. I mean, if people want to get dorky and look up Locke and Latham as sort of the founders of modern goal-setting theory, um, both of whom I've been lucky enough to be able to speak with, the, those, uh, you know, those why reasons um, are, are, are drastically important, particularly you know, when it's not in a management context where the why is like, so you don't get fired, you know, that's a pretty good reason. A lot of the time, you know, their initial uh, applications of goal-setting theory were like in uh, – you know, like lumber yards where it's basically like making sure guys show up on time and setting goals for how many trees they cut down and all that. And like, they want to keep their jobs. That's pretty easy. But if you're yourself telling yourself you want to do something, we all know what happens in those new year's resolutions. I think that's because we're not genuinely resonating with an end that is ultimately important enough for us to work away at. So defining that not only helps anchor how we're going to train because, because it defines where we're going, but it also is the fuel that actually gets us up in the morning to hold ourselves accountable, which most people are incapable of doing. Hmm. So here's, here's an interesting question. When you look at something, how do you distinguish whether you just think it's important to you enough to, to continue down this path or whether it actually is? Yeah. So are you talking about, um, if, if you, 
if you determine some sort of an end right. that you believe would be valuable. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the Delphic Oracle was Know Thyself, and that was a really long time ago, so I, I, I wish I could take credit for that. That'd be great. I'd be, I'd be the most prophetic uh, fellow in, in Wakefield if I came up with that. But, uh, but I really do think you, you have to understand yourself a bit. You know, there's a lot of stories of, you know, folks that go off, you got to like hike alone in the woods for 10 years before you can realize like what you're at. I, I don't really think you need that. I think ultimately, um, at, at the end of the day, if, if you know what genuinely pulls on your heartstrings and, and journaling has really helped me and, and helped tons of others. I mean, you know, if you've read Marcus's meditations, you've, you've read his journal, correct? I mean, he, he didn't write that to be famous. You know what I mean? Yep. He, he wrote that because, you know, he had to deal with these thoughts. He saw all these people dying and he was like, geez, I have to kind of distill this into some lessons learned because I got to keep running this empire for crying out loud. Um, so that was him sifting through his own thought. That was him chastising himself for his own sins by his own criterion. Uh, and, and I think that he came to know himself and his values and their application and his motivations therein. And I think journaling can be massively helpful but I think I think you do have to understand and dial into yourself. You know, you ask a lot of people what their highest goals are, and they'll be able to pretty quickly rattle off the sort of stuff that you'll you'll kind of maybe expect somebody to hear. I guess if you sort of ask them, like, you know, I I want my kids to go to good schools, and you know, I want to I don't know, like have, go go on long vacations and maybe like tropical places and stuff, and and sort of have a lot of time with my friends, or you know what I mean, like, and, and that's kind of it. Um, Sometimes that is the most deep and genuine and, and lofty notions of their souls. Sometimes they just sort of haven't calibrated into what fulfillment is for them and how it is actually defined. If you have a tough time gun to head saying what holds the deepest, most genuine value to your soul, um, you know, whatever I say in this podcast doesn't really matter. And, and you'd ultimately sort of have to shake that out of yourself. Hmm. I, I, it's really tough. I mean, you know, I, I know thyself is the only way out of that bucket. I mean, it's not like, you know, if you look in the mirror and you say it 10 times and you don't laugh, then you know, it really matters. You know, it, it's not, it's not as much like that. I think, I think you got to know yourself and you really have to know, like wake up in the morning. No, this is what matters in my life. And, and if, and if you, if you're unable to pull that off, maybe it's not important to you. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it is important and by golly, you got to shake yourself out of whatever the heck kind of funk you're in. Wow. Uh, a lot of really, really fascinating stuff here. Yeah, sorry I'm getting all lofty and nerdy on you here, brother. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. This is all great stuff. So, uh, Dan, I want to wrap with my final question, which sure. you know, you've heard me ask since you've listened to a, a couple of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Man, it makes somebody or something unmistakable. You know, I, I, can, I, can, take a little, I can take a little something from, from Emerson. Um, Emerson is a great essay called heroism. Uh, and, and I may, I, I, I often get it a little bit confused with his, his essays on, on power and on compensation, but, uh, but he, he speaks a bit of, of, um, of somebody so genuinely attuned to what it is inside of themselves that, that they, they, they truly know their own rights and know their own wrongs. And, and they, they make, they make cool, um, or they make cool and they make acceptable out of what flows forth most genuinely from themselves. So he, he speaks of, you know, what normal sort of behavior would be in, in a parlor type, you know, uh, formal gathering. And, and he, he speaks of someone who's, who's so uh, fulfilled and, and understanding and calibrated to sort of themselves and how they want to express themselves and who they really want to be. That if they're, if they're just literally being and imbuing that, then sort of whatever they're doing ends up being okay and ends up being cool. And, uh, 
And, and I think unmistakable, you know, at least on a personal level for me, and I think what might resonate to, to some of the other folks is, is somebody who is so most, most genuinely and truly attuned to themselves and being themselves in a genuine sense. Serena, I mean, so, to some degree, when we were off mic and you were talking about the purpose of the podcast, mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what you're trying to do here is make this an actual expression, not of a template you found somewhere, but of what you know makes this show different, of what you know makes makes you tick and makes you motivated and makes your calls fun and interesting and, and great um, and trying to dial into that. And I think doing that with our own hearts, with our own businesses, with our own pursuits is what makes them uh, unmistakable as well, their genuineness in that respect. Awesome. Well, hey, Dan, it has been my absolute pleasure to have you here as a guest on The Unmistakable Creative. This has been mind-blowingly cool. Cool, brother. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, and uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Unmistakable Creative. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.